Welcome to the Top of the Pile podcast, where you'll find some of the most interesting authors in conversation about everything from their lives, their books, and their big ideas. From health, science, and true crime, to fiction, history, and romance, we'll bring you fascinating conversations about subjects you never even knew about, and some that you do. You can also get more bookish recommendations by subscribing to the Top of the Pile newsletter. Just visit simonandschuster.com.au to join our mailing list. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Hello, my name is Anna, and you are listening to Simon & Schuster Podcast. Today, I'm in the studio with Scott Bevan, a writer, journalist, broadcaster, play- playwright, and a kayaker. Scott is an author of a new magnificent book on Sydney Harbour called The Harbour, City's Heart, A Country Soul. For as long as it existed, which is some 6,000 years, this harbour has been a source of inspiration to all sorts of people. The harbour's first people carved the images of animals that they saw. While the arrivals of the first fleet in 1788 started the European representation of the harbour's landscape, plants, people and animals. Numerous artists and writers since have shared this love for this special place And I guess that this is a good moment for me to ask you, Scott, what inspired you? What made you want to add to this vast body of Harbour's representation? You're you're absolutely right. And that held me back for so long, Anna, because I thought, well, what more can be said about this harbour? You know, there's that wonderful quote from the early 20th century, a book review uh, of a book by a fellow called Mr. Brady. And in this review, they said it would be a very bold man or um, a very well-equipped man who launches in to write a book Mm. about the harbour. So that was more than 100 years ago. So therefore, based on that, I must be a very foolish man to start a book on the harbour. But the reason I wanted to do it is because I thought I knew the harbour and I figured so many people are the same. You say Sydney and people go, oh, yeah, the harbour. I know the harbour. I've seen it. I've been there, I've visited it, I've seen it on television for Mm. New Year's Eve. We all think we know the harbour, but how well do we know it? And the layer on top of that, of course, is it is so beautiful that its sheer beauty almost dissuades you from getting to know it better. And so I would... Were you afraid to find any dark secrets? There's always... Spoiled that? (laughs) No, that's the the beauty, isn't it, Uh, of this sort of exploration Mm. of character. No character is perfect least of all our own. So that was part of what set me off because I, like so many others, would look at the harbour. My reflex action was to go, golly, it's beautiful. And I would draw energy from that beauty. But at the same time as I decided to leave work for a time, take time out for myself, Mm -hmm. literally push time away, push deadlines away, I looked at the harbour and thought, there's got to be more to it. And because I know so little about you, And that's how the journey began, to understand the complexity, the idiosyncrasies, the characters, not just one, but characters of the harbour. So staying with that theme of the the beauty, uh, we know that harbour has been admired for that beauty and Mm. attracted attention until today, attracts attention of a lot of um, artists of all kinds of uh, walks of life. Yeah. Um, but I find particularly I'm interested in the, in the painters. 
And I personally always love this uh, beautiful painting of uh, Grace Cosington Smith. Um, I think she was watching as the bridge was being yeah. built. Yeah. And in 1928, she did this beautiful painting uh, called uh, called The Curves of the Bridge, yeah. which I think really reflects that sort of the shimmering goldness of it. Um, I wonder if you had any of the the favorite paintings of the harbor. And if you could tell us a little bit about some of the artists that lived mm. uh, and still live and create around the harbor. Well, I love that painting as well. In fact, as that extraordinary architectural statement was taking shape, so many artists mm. gravitated towards it uh, because the sheer shape of it was exciting to an artist. But it was also what it said particularly someone like Cossington Smith, who was, um, you know, in a moderate way, a, a modernist. Mm -hmm. And here's this huge modern statement playing out across the skyline of Sydney, across the water. So I love the fact that the modernists were attracted and painted a certain vision. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there were those who could see underneath there the unceasing flow of time and of water. So the likes of Lloyd Rees captured another mm -hmm. aspect of this a uh, bridge taking shape over the the timeless splendor of the harbor. So I love the fact that um, artist artistic icons, as it were, were recording this new icon taking shape. But I love it when they the artist takes his or her vision to a part of the harbor that is not well known, and they open up our way of seeing the harbor. Mm. So everybody, for example, knows Ken Doan's uh, works of the um, opera house mm. and of, of the bridge. And, you know, it's an icon painting an icon in effect. But where Ken often paints, where he draws a lot of inspiration is around in Middle Harbour, a lesser known part of Sydney Harbour. And his works there have informed the way I see Sydney Harbour. Every time mm. I see a painting of Ken's of Chinaman's Beach or of Middle Harbour, I can imagine being there myself. And conversely, when I'm there, I think of Ken Doan paintings and I love the fact that this body of water has given so much inspiration to so many artists and in turn they've allowed us to see the harbour in different light, in different ways. And I just, I love that. So that's why I love those lesser known parts such as uh, Ken's depiction of Middle Harbour. But I also love the reminder of that this has always been a deep well of inspiration so when you see the carving by a Camaragal person. I was going to ask you to mention that Bull's Head It's just extraordinary, carving. up at Bull's Head, just yeah. to be there and to look at that and to look at this carving and then to have had the great privilege of hearing from a Camaragal man, Dennis Foley, mm. the, his reading of it and his um, depiction uh, saying that this showed a practice that used to go on with the young Camaragal men when the whales in this deepest part of the harbour would come in mm -hmm. and the young men would wrap on their feet seal or penguin skin for grip and climb on the backs of these whales. And to see this whale, this beautiful carving, which is stunning unto itself mm -hmm. and, and remarkable that it has survived the ravages of time and humankind in terms of what's happened around there, that it still exists, is wondrous in itself. But the story attached to it, thanks to Dennis telling it, and the reminder that there has been this deep connection between people and this water for many thousands of years, it to me is just one of the most remarkable pieces of art about or on the harbour. Mm. The harbour was a very, very different kind of place uh, before the bridge um, was open in 1932. 
and it was a working harbor. Mm. So I tried, maybe I would like to ask you to try to put us there in the harbor before the bridge was. If, if I close my mind, mm. close my eyes, what would I see in the, in the harbor pre-bridge? The bridge brought about change. There's no doubt about that. The ferry services dropped away, but it certainly didn't mean spell the end. Mm. We know that we can still have that iconic Sydney experience of going on a, on a ferry, mm-hmm. both to the east towards Manly and up the, the river to, to Manly, uh, to uh, Parramatta. Um, but it certainly dropped away and it changed it. But the uh, ships, the big ships still kept coming into Sydney Harbour. There were still all those wharves and that maritime activity um, around uh, particularly the western part of the harbour. You see that in some amazing photos taken by a guy called David Moore in mm. the post-war years where there's this filament of uh, smoke and grit and uh, pouring out of funnels of, that are large mm. and small as the ships from across the seas and within the harbour skitter and scatter all about transporting mm. workers to the, the islands such as Cockatoo Island, which was an, a shipbuilding centre unto its own, to Goat Island, another uh, maritime hub. And, of course, around all these shipyards and uh, places all around, particularly the western part of the harbour, that has, by and, by and large, all gone. And you can still find remnants of it. You can still find uh, physical reminders of it. But what I found joyous in this journey is you can still find flesh and blood reminders. Mm. People who worked on Cockatoo Island, worked the ferries, worked on the workboats, and the stories they have of that time and paint a different picture of this busy harbour. And they lament that it has dropped away, that most trade now goes either to Botany Bay, the place that ironically Arthur Philip rejected Mm -hmm. in 1788 and said, no, this will not do. Well, you know, 220-odd years on, it is uh, pretty much where so much of our trade comes in and out now. Um, But they lament that it is becoming the harbour is becoming ornamental. And I guess it feeds that argument that has been going for a long time now. So is this harbour for the people? Is it public? Does it belong to all of us? Or is it for those who can afford it? Mm. I was wondering if you could tell us maybe about some of your favourite spots on the the harbour where one can encounter or imagine that this is the harbour, how it would have looked like a thousand years ago. Yeah, it's... Such a good question, and it is one of the most attractive elements of getting out onto the harbour, as opposed to that obsession that Sydney siders and visitors have mm-hmm. of looking at the harbour, to be on the harbour, and to then look back at the shoreline. Now, there are places where you're going to be looking at some incredible architecture, but you're right, you can still paddle to certain sections and look at nature. And in a city of approaching five million people, to me, this is just extraordinary. Mm. So. You can do it along the north, northern shore, the northeastern shore, thanks to, I guess, the concerns and at times paranoia that we held um, well over a century ago about what and who would be coming through those heads. There are all those vast tracts that were given over to defence and they're honeycombed with mm-hmm. tunnels. They are, are nobbled with uh, uh, gun emplacements, old emplacements, old bunkers that uh, have been there since... Uh, the 1870s, many of them, and of course new ones were built in the successive uh, world wars or updated. But then, of course, that was all handed back. Once um, defence said, well, you know, <laughs> we don't have to keep um, an unblinking eye on the heads anymore, mm-hmm. um, 
that all reverted to the people and it reverted, therefore, to a sense of what it probably once was. You could access this. And so to paddle into some of those places where if you look across the other shore, it's loaded with with uh, the hubbub of, of Sydney 21st century. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to do a 180 and look into bushland, into, you know, a, a, a scalloped shoreline of sand. It's just extraordinary to have that experience. But for me, the most, I guess, spiritual and the most relaxed part of the harbour is right at the top end of Middle Harbour in a bay called Bantry Bay, where if you paddle in among the mangroves, you can push away all sounds or just about all sounds of the 21st century. You hear just nature. You hear birdsong. You hear the lap of the water. You hear the distant splash of a, a waterfall, which is probably urban runoff, but it, we hope that it's a waterfall. <laughs> mixture thereof. Yeah. And then you can turn and look in certain angles. And while this was once upon a time a storage area for explosives, the explosives that was helping to create uh, a new nation, a young nation, uh, you can get in certain angles where that's all blocked out and just see bushland. And in that moment, you can think, this is what it was like. This is the connection that is ongoing for the original harbour peoples and the descendants of the original harbour peoples. And in that moment, it reaffirms to you that, uh, well, I hope this doesn't sound presumptuous, that uh, you feel like a harbour person Mm. and you feel a deep connection. And for me, that is one of the most special parts of Sydney Harbour. Yeah. So the harbour is not just, of course, a beautiful place. Mm. It's also it's also people around it. Can yeah. you tell us maybe uh, a couple of examples of the most extraordinary encounters that you had with people that you didn't even have an idea existed around this place? A couple of people who fascinated me were um, a couple of fishermen I met just near Manly. And the fact that I saw them cooking fish in a uh, an oven that had been carved, hewn out of a sandstone mm-hmm. rock face. And they were cooking the fish they'd caught earlier that day, some flathead. And I just thought, look at that. What a wonderful time on a tradition. And I paddled closer and they invited me ashore and said, come on up. And just yarning to them about what the harbour meant to them and the relationship. And that sardonic humour as well. And the humour reminded me that, yes, this is beautiful, but it's also got a lot of challenges and a lot of things still um, that affected our impact on it in an adverse way. Because as I'd had a couple of mouthfuls of flathead and he said, how's that taste? And I said, oh, it's beautiful. He said, there you go, mate. Now you know what it's like to have a mouthful of pharmaceuticals and microplastic. And he said it in a funny, sardonic way, but he's right. We do keep pouring uh, our lives into that harbour. Um, you know, we take so much from the harbour in terms of our identity, but we still put so much into it that mm-hmm. we shouldn't be, uh, whether willfully or unwittingly, we're still doing that. And in that moment, meeting those guys, A, it reminded me what a wonderful conductor of friendship and of, of coming together water can be. The fact that these two blokes invite a stranger up to share their fish, them doing this time-honoured thing something that had been happening long before any British person arrived here, mm-hmm. the, the deriving from the depths, nourishment, both physically and spiritually. And then that joke about, but we're having an impact. We are having an impact yes. on the harbour. So for me, that's one of the most memorable. And 
Um, There are a couple of well-known people who I met along the way. And once again, the harbour strips away those layers of, I guess, protection and show another side, another identity to those people we know so well. So not only was this an opportunity to get to know the harbour better, I think in a couple of cases, I was very privileged to get to know better those with whom the harbour is synonymous. I have to say, I really, really enjoyed your book and uh, I love the way that's organized. I love the idea that I can open chapters and dip mm-hmm. and just kind of follow the map and see where I am. And some of these places I I knew well, others I didn't know very much about. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a kind of a book that will appeal to people that both live here and just want to know a little bit more, but also for those around the world that dream about coming yeah. here to, to yeah. uh, Sydney. And I thought that in light of that, I was going to do a quick five right. uh, times five. Let's so see quick how I go. Five questions right. about the harbor. <laughs> uh, can you tell me what were the five most surprising facts that you discover about the harbor? I was surprised how big it was. We know it physically looks big, but when I found out from um, the Roads and Maritime Services people that there's 316 kilometers of shoreline, I was like, wow, that's a lot. I was surprised, this ties into number one, that when we say the harbour, there's actually quite a few harbours, as it were, of very distinct, different parts of the harbour. So when you're in Parramatta River or Lane Cove River, it's a totally different experience that you're immersed in compared to being in North Harbour or certainly in the main part of the harbour near the heads. So I was surprised how this one body of water gets lumped in as the harbour when there is myriad experiences Mm -hmm. and characters within that body of water. Uh, Number three, as I was saying before, I was surprised how welcoming and generous people were to a stranger just pulling up on the shoreline and um, asking questions Mm -hmm. and chatting away or merely just sharing a little bit of their time with them. I shouldn't be surprised because uh, Sydney siders are friendly. Um, and humanity hankers for these sort of little mm-hmm. experiences. You know, Paul Theroux, um, the American writer, says travel isn't about distance, it's about insight. And the lovely thing about this sort of travel is, this small travel is, it's the insight gained um, from those who you meet. And I hope for them back the other way that they were interested in the fact I was paddling. So when you think that we're all journeying some way, that it's, I guess, natural that the water, the conduit for this travel, um, allows us to be friendly and share ideas, share experiences, share thoughts, share opinions. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, I was surprised how welcoming people were. Um, Number four, uh, that after all this time, I still know so little about the harbour. I set out, as I said, to learn more about the harbour. I certainly have. I know the harbour better, but I've certainly got a lot more to learn about it. Mm -hmm. And number five is um, I'm surprised at my own foolishness at thinking I can head out and kayak on Australia Day or Boxing Day and (laughs) not be affected by that washing machine effect of thousands of boats out there. I'm surprised at times, though I shouldn't be, by my own stupidity. Now, if somebody was going to come and visit here, what would you say are the five most essential experiences around the harbour? You have to see the harbour icons from the harbour. So you can combine them. You can hop on a a ferry. And yes, you can go to Manly, the 
the iconic trip, you know, uh, seven miles from the city, a thousand miles from care. But jump on and go up Parramatta River and you're tracing the way the first British went, desperately searching for arable land. So you're, in effect, following in the wake of Arthur Phillip and his party. Um, you are following in the, in the, going deep into territory of two major harbour peoples and the wonderful stories that fed their, their lives for many, many, many generations. And near the start of the journey, as you come out of that extraordinary cove that was called Sydney Cove, Circular Quay, out of Circular Quay, the, the cradle, the birthplace of Australia, in effect, of uh, what Australia was to become. You can look up, you can look to your right and see one icon to get a, a view from the water as Utzon wanted it of his marvellous creation in the Opera House. And then you can look up, and crane your neck and look at, up at another icon, seeing the underbelly of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Yeah. Uh, get, get into uh, places you can't normally get to, and you can easily do it by renting a kayak. Kayak up to Bantry Bay. Kayak into some of the little coves. Take your swimmers. Go for a swim, because by and large, it's incredibly clean water. It's a wonderful thing to do. When you do that, number three, talk to the people, because in that moment, you are all harbour people, mm -hmm. and you'll all learn something from each other, and you'll love that. Um, number four, paddle to, um, I'm trying to think somewhere where you can get out and have a drink, Neutral Bay, Careening Cove. You can hop out there, have a glass of wine while looking over the water. If you're so inclined, you can go next door into the Ensemble Theatre, which is built over the water. Mm -hmm. You can go and see a play, or you can just wander around the headlands. Number five, immerse yourself in not just at the coves, in a cove, as I was saying before, but in one of the harbour pools. This is a great symbol of democracy in Sydney and Australia. People pay millions to have their own pool right next to the water. But you can, if not swim with the rich, you can swim right next to them in a harbour pool for free. And McCallum Pool in particular on the North Shore is a wondrous place to do that. And since we are talking about swimming, uh, because Sydney is also such an iconic city for beaches, mm. um, what would you say are the five best swimming beaches in the city? I think one way you're, it's a sense of community and sharing it with others. So head to Nielsen Park, which is uh, quite wonderful. If you can reach it, there's a wonderful place uh, called uh, Milk Beach, which isn't too far away. You can paddle to there from Rose Bay. You can hire a kayak in Rose Bay and paddle to Milk Beach. Just above it is um, a wonderful old place called Strickland House and this tucked away beach below. Um, there's some wonderful beaches right near the, uh, head, uh, the headland, near South Head, uh, albeit you may have to remove your clothes for one of them, um, but it's extraordinary to feel like you're on the cusp of the great rollers of the mm -hmm. sea and also still in the embrace of the harbour. That's a wonderful experience to have in one of those harbour beaches right near the heads. Um, over to Manly. Uh, Manly Beach is famous, but that's looking out to sea in the cove itself. You can uh, swim there and watch the great ferries push in and turn the water into turmoil and churn as it uh, avoids hitting the, mm -hmm. the, the, the piers, which is just an extraordinary experience. And number five, and Please disregard all the heavy talk about sharks. And you, of course, everyone will always talk about sharks. 
Um, there's a couple of little places in Middle Harbour where you'll just find a little sliver of sand and you can pull in there and have a swim in the shallows, don't have to go out too far. Um, or the same heading up Parramatta River. And there's places where you, th- you stand there and think you're standing on, or in the shallows and imagining that uh, centuries ago, men would have been standing there fishing with their spears mm. or the women would have been in the Nawi just off putting out nets or cooking fish in the, in the canoes. So when you stand in the shallows at those little beaches up Parramatta River or Middle Harbour, I feel an incredible connection with um, the uh, traditional owners. Mm. And for those of uh, us who are less adventurous and will not go swimming or kayaking, <laughs> what would you suggest five most interesting buildings to see around the uh, Sydney Harbour would be? The Opera House, for one. It's just extraordinary. Um, Mika Rutzen Popov, the grandson of Jürgen uh, the designer, he describes it how he, it's like, holding your hand up before your eyes and just turning the hand before your face. If you do that, as I talk, you will see your hand look different from every angle. He says, no matter which way you look at this building, no matter how many times you have that experience, every time feels like a refreshing and, oh my goodness, moment. You've got to see the Opera House. Go to something in the Opera House and you're seeing a vision not quite completed, uh, but it's still a one wonderful thing. Walk around the Opera House, but Please get on the water and look up at the Opera House. It's just uh, an amazing uh, statement, amazing building. Um, uh, some of the big old mansions that defined the money in this colony early on of, of fortunes made to paddle into Vaucluse Bay and look up at, through the, uh, the trees at Vaucluse House, it's an amazing thing to see. And as you paddle that uh, eastern around the eastern suburbs in the coves and bays and you look up, you will see some amazing old houses that are a testament to not just the craftsmanship that existed in the 19th mm-hmm. century, but the money that that harbour was either carrying in or making for certain folks in colonial Australia as this place grew. Um, I love some of the um, modern architecture, um, and it's sometimes harder to find, but there's some incredible statements of people uh, linking with the water. A lot of the statements are huge, so they're trying to override to uh, show that they are bigger than the landscape mm-hmm. on these steep escarpments or even trying to say I'm bigger than the harbour itself. Those sort of statements I'm not terribly interested in. But those that want to fit into the bush and fit into the bush rock, fit into the sandstone and above all fit into the water and be part of it. I love those statements and you can see a lot of those, Anna, around there. And you've got to see Blues Point Tower. It is the one dividing uh, architectural statement, uh, perhaps mm-hmm. more than any other around Sydney Harbour. Uh, some people love it and think it's, uh, it was when modernism washed up on Australia's shores in the early 60s. Other people hate it, saying it's a blight and an eyesore on an otherwise beautiful harbour and it you know, overrides those other statements such as the bridge and the opera house. Either way, it is a statement, it's big, it's bold, and um, it is in some ways like a defiant finger. And, <laughs> you know, that's Harry Seidler's uh, legacy to some res- uh, respect, but uh, it has added to the harbour experience. So, Mr Seidler, thank you. <laughs> um, 
So many more questions, so many more stories and secrets hiding under the layer of the Sydney Harbour. I mean, I could talk to you here for hours and I know that we wouldn't um, even scratch the surface. Um, thank you again for this uh, chat. And uh, I could not recommend this book high enough to those who live here and those who just dream about uh, coming and visit. Great spot. And Great book. Thank, thank you. you. It's been wonderful chatting and uh, to everyone listening, see you on the harbour sometime. Thank you.